This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We have a few things to talk about today. Wrapping up this 2021 season, we're going to look at some of the best prospect performances of the year in the minors. We have a prospect team of the year coming out, and uh, we'll tell you about some of the decisions, the tough decisions that we had to make there. Uh, We're also going to take a look at some 2021 draftees who impressed this year, and we'll wrap things up, as we always do, with a question in the mailbag. Jim and Jonathan, uh, the end of the season is here. Triple A season winding down with the final stretch, the major league season uh, down to the final week. Uh, For the most part, we have a pretty good idea of who put forth the best performances of the year in 2021. Uh, as we've said several times over the course of this year, it's good to have any baseball this year after you know suffering through uh, a minor league seasonless 2020. Um, so this year, uh, an interesting group of names that we considered for our prospect team of the year. So what we do is we name a first and second team. We pick a player at each position, also a DH and uh, one right-handed starting pitcher, one left-handed starting pitcher, and a relief pitcher. Why don't we go through, uh, let's go through the list, um, and then uh, we'll, we'll hit each position, and then at the end let's talk about uh, who you guys think uh, are in the running for the overall hitting and pitching prospect of the year. So let's start behind the plate. Uh, some top 100 prospects in contention here, and maybe the surprise season of the year. Um, so guys that were considered, uh, MJ Melendez, Francisco Alvarez, and Adley Rutschman. Would you guys would you guys say that the MJ Melendez season was maybe the most surprising season of the year? I'd say it might be the most pr- surprising season of the last 10 years. I actually had a, a national cross checker text me a week ago and ask me if I've ever seen a player come out of nowhere like that. I mean, we've talked about a few times this summer, MG Melendez might've been the worst player in the minor leagues in 2019, like guys who played every day. He hit 163 with a 40% strikeout rate. I mean, again, 163 <laughs> with a 40% strikeout rate. And now he leads the minor leagues in home runs with 41. He has an ops of 1,011 after having a 571 ops two years ago. Oh, by the way, he, he made the jump. Like he, It wasn't like they sent him back to high A. He went to double A, and then he was so good there, he put up even better numbers in triple A. And he remained a, a stalwart defender behind the plate. So, yeah, I, I mean, Nick Prado had kind of a similar renaissance, you know, making this, you know, the same teams in the Royal system. But – I'd love to know what odds you would have gotten in Vegas because you can bet on everything now on MJ Melendez leading the minor leagues and home runs coming into the season. It really is remarkable. And uh, (laughs) you talk about that strikeout rate and obviously, you know, without digging into the numbers, well, clearly he made more contact, you know, and that's why, you know, he's always had raw power, but you talked about what, what was it? 40% strikeout rate in 2019, Jim? Yeah, and he cut it in half. It was 21 and a half this year. I mean, it's like crazy with like, and I think people, you know, you're going to hit that many homers. You're going to allow for, for a fair amount of strikeouts, but that is, that's a low strikeout rate. And he drew 73 walks, you know, so this is a guy who figured it all out. And, you know, when we're, 
and continue to sort of look at the impact of 2020 on players in 2021, you know, on the positive and negative column. And the, you know, there are guys who go into each, each bucket that so many guys step forward, but this is, this is a guy who, boy, did he put that, that year of, of, of downtime to very, very good use. Uh, it is a truly remarkable turnaround because uh, he had had, you know, in his first full season in 2018 in a ball, he, he was okay. There was, you know, a ton of swing and miss. There were some concerns, but he hit for power and he was super, you know, he was still a teenager and he was catching. Okay. And then it just all went, you know, sideways when they, they moved him up to high a in, in 2019 and, uh, just an absolutely remarkable season, even if you don't look at what he did previously. But then when you add in the turnaround, it really is one that I think we're going to be talking about for a very long time. I know that uh, the Royals is one of the teams that Sam Dykstra uh, is sort of the primary owner of among the three of you. So you you may not have heard anything about this, but I'm curious, Like, do we know what happened? Has, has he credited this massive turnaround to anything in particular? I mean, I haven't talked to anybody recently. Uh, I do remember even going back to 19, I want to say in 2020, I was in Royals camp in spring training before the shutdown. And there was some talk about both he and Nick Prado uh, making strides in their, in their overall approaches. And this, listen, it was super early. Um, so nothing had really happened and I had heard it before. Right. So, it, you know, I kind of said, all right, well, let's wait and see. And then there was nothing. Um, you know, so it, it, I had heard similar things the year prior um, about, you know, about both of them, you know, uh, because they had had, I mean, at least Melendez, like I said, in, in low A in 2018 had you know, an acceptable season, but there were concerns about pitch recognition and, and the swing and miss and an overall approach. And obviously the, the, the work that he put in didn't, didn't help him in 2019. So I had kind of just started, I'm like, all right, let's, let's wait and see. I think after the year he had, they, you know, that both of them had, they had to go and prove it and they both did. And, uh, you know, so, uh, in this case, clearly they had put in some work and continued that work uh, into uh, into the, the downtime in 2020 and uh, it just kept paying off. So I haven't heard anything beyond that. And that, you know, that was already you know, a year, you know, two seasons ago, in effect, in spring training, early spring training 2020. There was a story I, I remember reading in The Athletic, I think it was in August, um, and it talked about how he made some adjustments. Basically, I think he used to have a closed stance and he opened it up and he kind of, you know, settled down his pre-pitch movement, shortened his swing. So they did make some mechanical changes that apparently really, really paid off. All right. And the other two finalists uh, for the catcher on our prospect team of the year, uh, as I mentioned, a couple of top 100 prospects. Um, and guys who just simply, it, well, they're the top two ranked catchers on our top 10 catching prospects list. So no real surprise, but both of these guys, Alvarez and Rutschman, really sort of just lived up to expectations this year. Yeah, I mean, I was, I remember the first thing, and we have, you know, a big spreadsheet with all the things, and catchers are up top. <laughs> the first thing I did, uh, you know, looking at is, wow, like there are some good catching prospects. I feel there were years when, we've done this where it's hard to find, you know, catchers. And not only do we have guys who are ranked highly, but went out and performed and, and put up numbers. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, with Alvarez, he's still so young and Rushman's knocking on the door. Uh, you know, you, I think Alvarez has work to do defensively. Um, it's a little harder to quantify that when looking at things like, like this. Um, but, uh, both of them kind of, like you said, Jason, performed as you would want your top two catching prospects to perform. You know, Alvarez, you know, I think, took a, a very nice jump forward for a guy who was super young and managed to work his way across two levels of A-ball. And Rushman, the, the, I think the bar was set so high as the 
number one pick in, in 2019 and, and who we didn't really get to see and then went about and kind of did what we thought he'd do. Um, it's kind of boring almost, but he's really, really good. You know, I'm going down the list of our top 10 catching prospects and, uh, these guys' names didn't come up in terms of uh, consideration for the catching spot on the prospect team of the year, but you go down the line, Joey Bart, Kiba Ruiz, Henry Davis, Diego Cartaya, these guys all had, they all had good seasons. All right, let's move along to the first base group. And Jonathan, you've already touched on one of them, Nick Prado. Uh, some other prospects who received consideration here, uh, Vinny Pasquantino. Uh, another Kansas City Royals first base prospect, uh, another sort of mega prospect, Tigers first base prospect, Spencer Torkelson, uh, Rangers Dustin Harris, who is one of, uh, I believe, 16 players at this point who have registered 2020 seasons, not something that you uh, say often about a first base prospect, and then uh, Juan Yepes of the Cardinals. But uh, your, your thoughts on uh, this one, guys, I think kind of comes down to the two Royals prospects. Yeah, I mean, the Royals starting off strong. I mean, again, when we're picking these, this is like we pick our prospect team of the week. It's not who's, you know, the, the best prospect, because then I think if we're doing the best prospect, you'd bump Spencer Torkelson up a little bit. But, I mean, you know, Prado and, and, and Pascantino, I think hands down, had the two best years among first basemen in the minor leagues with, with Torkelson and Harris right behind them. And the one thing we should add, by the way, like we haven't really talked about are the sort of qualifications um, in terms of that guy had to be a top 30 prospect and had to have spent half the season in the minors because people could go looking and find some guys at uh, different positions who had huge years, but missed out because of those uh, because of those qualifiers that we have. And maybe talk a little bit about how much you factor in uh, prospects overall ranking. So uh, in the case of our catchers with Melendez and, you know, being compared to a couple of top, you know, top 40 prospects, top 30 prospects uh, and Alvarez and Rutschman. And then with the first base prospects, you have Spencer Torkelson who's, uh, one of the top overall prospects in baseball. Uh, how much do you factor in that overall ranking? For me, not really much. I mean, I looked at it, I don't know about you, Jonathan, like prospect team of the week where I based it strictly on performance. I, I was probably more apt to look at age relative to level. Yep. Um, but I pretty much went with performance which is, you know, what we do when we're doing the weekly prospect teams of the week. Yeah, same. I mean, I, I will look at, at age and level just uh, to get a sense of like, or is this something this player should be doing or is this going above and beyond, especially, you know, looking at, at a season overall. Uh, you know, if, if it's a tie, then I might, you know, sort of factor into, you know, prospect, the goodness, um, Jim, last week we decided you need to trademark that. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, I, I don't think it entered, you know, into it too much. Um, you know, maybe, you know, looking at the first baseman, you could make the argument that Dustin Harris had a better year than Spencer Torkelson statistically in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways, especially the 2020 um, I think that's when, I mean, also the levels that Torkelson played at and sort of his prospect status maybe came into play a tiny bit, but, um, but, you know, by that token, as Jim said, Torkelson would have moved ahead of, I don't know if he would have moved ahead of Prado, but, you know, he and Pasquantino, uh, you know, I, I think it, uh, it, it doesn't figure in that was a very long winded way of me saying that it only came into play every so often and not in any major way. And we probably will wind up, we're still talking this through a little bit We for the DHs. My guess is that Pasquantino will be the second team DH and Torkelson will get on there. So they'll both be on the team when all is said and done. All right. Let's move on to the second baseman. Uh, a couple of Knicks, 
leading the way here, Nick York and Nick Gonzalez, uh, a couple of former first rounders, and then a couple of Rangers, Trevor Hauer and Justin Foscu, garnering some consideration and a very nice season uh, for Yankees prospect Oswaldo Cabrera as well. Yeah, I mean, this was, I thought, kind of a two-man race. I mean, Foskey just missed too much time. He had, you know, the nice home run streak earlier in the year. And if you if he played a full season, he might have hit 35 homers at the rate he was going, but he, he played 62 games. So, um, you know, none of our second-base candidates outside of Cabrera played even 100 games. Um, and, and we were talking a little bit before we started the podcast. I mean, we, you know, I haven't been on the last two podcasts, but it seemed like we talked about Nick York a lot on the previous couple. I mean, Nick York hit about, what, 360 or whatever after the first month of the season and probably would have led the minor leagues in hitting. You know, it, I, I haven't done that research, but after hitting 190 in May, he might have been the best hitter in the minor leagues. And then Nick Gonzalez was for a guy who was, you know, reputed to be the best, you know, perhaps the best college bat in last year's draft or one of the best college bats. You know, it seemed like he was just Jonathan. I know you do the Pirates having a okay season, you know, nothing special. And then he really heated up at the end. And I was like, I was like, wow, Nick Gonzalez wound up with a 950 ops. I did not see that coming. I mean, I knew he was good, but it seemed like it was about a 750 ops with six weeks to go in the season. Yeah, he, I think the last two months of the season, but definitely, you know, August 1st through the end, through, through in September when he was done, uh, he may have been the best hitter. In, in the minors. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And we, we kept joking that it was just uh, a couple of times where he, he missed out on being on prospect team of the week because some other second baseman had just been a little bit better, but week after week, he was a guy who, you know, was just putting up numbers late in the year. And I think it's just the, you know, the time that he missed early, uh, and you mentioned, you know, these guys didn't play over hundred games. He only played in 80 games is the reason why he, didn't get promoted, uh, which was the one thing I was kind of waiting for as a, you know, the advanced college guy from 2020 uh, when he was red hot. I think if he hadn't missed the time, you know, and or not started as slowly as he did. And he never was like awful. He just was, as you said, he was fine. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't standing out in any way. Then he probably would have gotten bumped up to double A at some point uh, during the year. Uh, you know, I, I thought that this was a very interesting one of the more interesting races, and I agree, it's, it was between the, the two of them, uh, Nick York and Nick Gonzalez, and I think you could make an argument for, for either one of them. Yeah, his last 39 games of the year, Nick Gonzalez hit 335, 13 homers, 29 extra base hits, 11-23 ops. That's pretty good. All right, moving along to third base. Uh, this is a position where we don't have a lot of uh, sort of top 100 type prospects uh, in consideration. But uh, I think the leading contender here is uh, the minor league leader in total bases and Jose Miranda of the Twins. Uh, Jordan Walker, 19-year-old uh, Cardinals prospect, had a very, very nice season. Uh, Dodgers Miguel Vargas uh, raised with a couple of third base prospects and Austin Shenton and Curtis Mead, who had nice seasons and Brandon Lewis, of the Dodgers also garnered some consideration here. Yeah. I mean, this one I thought was fairly easy because, uh, you know, Miranda kind of his stats were, were head and shoulders above everybody else's and the, the, his closest competitor on a, on a rate basis was either going to be Walker or Shelton and Miranda had 200 more plate appearances. So for me, like it was no question. It was Jose Miranda there. Yeah. I mean, he, he had, you know, it, it hasn't been talked about as much, um, but he, you know, this is a season that was, you know, it wasn't MJ Melendez level surprise, but this, you know, he'd always shown glimpses of being able to hit and I do the twins list. Um, but you know, this is a guy who went from being a, well, is he top 30? Like maybe he's the back end to a guy who's one of the better hitters in, in the minor leagues. Uh, and, he move, and he moves around the, the diamond a bit too to, to make him interested, you know, even more interesting in some ways. He played more third than anywhere else. But, um, you know, the, the power just really started showing up this year, 29 homers uh, over the course of the year. But he did not 
sacrifice any of his his ability to make contact or, or work counts, which had always been something that had been a, a positive for him. So this is a huge step forward for Miranda. And as, I mean, as much as I, you know, I, I think Jordan Walker, who is the top 100 guy on this list, um, in this group rather, uh, has a very, very bright future. It, to me, it wasn't really close. Um, and, you know, I, I've always liked Austin Shenton. Uh, you know, started the year in the Marin- with the Mariners and moved over to the Rays and hit in both places. Um, he, he's always been sort of an interesting sleeper guy for me since his college days in Florida. Um, you know, so to see him have a, a very strong season, albeit only in 80 games, uh, you know, I thought was pretty interesting too. So he's a, he's, he's a guy who I think is going to end up being a better big leaguer than he was a prospect. Yeah, Miranda – you mentioned his huge jump. He went from uh, – he increased his OPS by nearly 200 points from 2019 to 2021 from 671 uh, OPS in 2019 to nearly 1,000 this year. All right, moving on to shortstop, and this is a really interesting one. And uh, I think uh, you could see this in a couple different ways. Anthony Volpe – uh, Yankees shortstop prospect and Royals shortstop prospect Bobby Witt Jr. Both had uh, just sensational seasons. Uh, Witt with another stolen base in it one, uh, one of the final games this week would become uh, a 30-30 player in the minors, which is a an extreme rarity. Uh, Volpe was not far off himself, 27 home runs and 33 stolen bases. Uh, I think this was pretty much a two-horse race. Uh, Eddie Leonard of the Dodgers, Jose Barrero of the Reds, and Josh H. Smith of the Rangers all also getting consideration. Um, but uh, Barrero and Smith only with 85 and 78 games respectively in the minors. Um, and I, I think, you know, Leonard had a, a great season, 929 OPS, 22 homers, 81 RBIs. Uh, hit 296 across low A and high A, but his numbers just don't uh, don't quite match up to Volpe or Witt. Yeah, it's. I mean, you're you're splitting hairs picking between the two. I mean, ultimately, well, I think Jonathan, you and I both had Volpe ahead of Witt when we when we voted. You know, the the, vote, the ballots are still being tabulated, but. Uh, um, I just, you know, again, I'd have no problem picking the guy with 33 homers, 29 steals, and 950 ops who got to AAA. But, you know, Volpe had, you know, a 1027 ops. You know, he didn't get to play the extra games in AAA that Bobby Witt did. The, the whole stats this season are confusing to me because the AAA guys get to play more games and some of these races aren't uh, aren't decided. But I think, I think Volpe led the minor leagues in ops. Um, which is pretty, pretty impressive. You know, we've talked about him a lot too for a guy who, you know, was a first round pick had, you know, mono didn't put up big numbers in his debut. And then he comes out this year, even the Yankees will tell you, they, they, they thought he was a really good player. They never thought he'd have this kind of power. Yeah. I think this Volpe would be on that short list right after Melendez in terms of biggest surprises, right? I mean, there aren't too yeah, many. Yeah, I think that, I think Melendez is just in a class by himself yes, because he was so bad right. where Volpe, we, know, had it, no, we had no tracker. We had nothing. Yeah, well, Volpe hadn't gone out and just basically been the worst player in the minor leagues in high A in his third pro year. But yeah, no, I, it's, I, if you <laughs> if we were setting the over-under on Volpe home runs at the beginning of the year, I don't know, where would you put about 12 and a half maybe? Yeah. Like ops, where would you put his over-under on ops? Like 800? Maybe 800 if you want to be optimistic. I think 800 would be like, oh, that's a pretty good year because he's a middle infielder. Yeah, and he's um, going to be 20 and he hasn't played full season ball. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I, he, his year was pretty spectacular. I mean, when you when you come down, like, I was thinking about this. If, if you're talking about overall, and we haven't even had this discussion yet, you know, who, who had the best, you know, what do you call it, minor league position prospect of the year, if that's what we usually call it. I think it – for me, it probably would be Anthony Volpe. I'm going to dig in a little bit more. I think you're probably right. I mean, it, it's interesting because uh, I, I did. I voted for Volpe over Wit, but I looked at it for a while. Um, you know, and, and Wit 
has been a you know top prospect for a long time. Uh, you know, this is a guy that people knew about when he was an underclassman in high school, um, and he went out and. I mean, the, the thing I think that's amazing with the year that Bobby Witt had, and this was his first full, real first full season of pro ball, and the bar was set so high, the expectations so high, and he, and he managed to exceed them. Um, and yet he's not necessarily the best hitting prospect or best shortstop prospect in baseball this year. Uh, yeah, well, is- how about the fact, Jonathan, I mean, you remember – you know, he's number two pick in the draft, Gatorade, National Athlete of the Year, not just baseball, you know, big league name, like you said, famous for a while. And he went out to the Arizona League, and he hit kind of a soft 262, and it was the same Arizona League where C.G. Abrams was going off, and Marco Luciano was going off, and not so much from people in the industry, but you saw people, you saw writers, and you saw fans like, hey, you know, Bobby Witt, 670 Ops, what's going on? How good is this guy, really? And the other thing, don't forget, he would jump from the Arizona League to Double A. Like, it wasn't like they started him, and I'm not trying to take away from Anthony Volpe. It's not like Anthony Volpe, who came out of the same draft <laughs> and started in, you know, started his season in low A. Bobby Witt, I mean, he had great spring training, went to Double A, and tore it up, and then went to AAA in the second half and had even better numbers. So very, very impressive year. And again, I don't know why I keep talking about betting lines and over-unders. I would not have, if you told me Bobby Witt was going to sp- split the year between AA and AAA, I would not have necessarily gone for 33 homers and a 950 ops. Maybe the – I mean, I don't think I would have predicted thirty, you know, over 30 homers. I think that the power was going to show up in some capacity. Uh, how much it was going to be. And by the way, I, I don't, I didn't take us, you know, talking about Bobby Wood as us diminishing Anthony Volpe in any way, shape or form. Oh no, I didn't mean it like that. Yeah. In some ways I was just like, let's just make sure we give Bobby Wood his due. And this is a guy who, as you said, you know, had a huge spring training where there was buzz about him making the big league team, which was never going to happen in reality, but that's how good he looked and how much he belonged. And that's by the way, I really wasn't worried about like what he did or didn't do in the Arizona league. Um, I just remember someone from the Royals front office telling the story that you know, they're playing, you know, in in those games in in the Arizona Rookie League, and it's you know, four thousand degrees or whatever it is. And from the start to the finish of that season, Bobby Witt was always the first one out on the field and the first one back. He's um, Ernie Banks. You play, you know, let's play too. Yeah, no like matter that's... what, and that's you know, he, like, and that's why I'm like, you know, he's going to be just fine. I don't whatever numbers he puts up doesn't really matter. I think you know what would have been really exciting to see is if C.J. Abrams had been healthy because yep. they were on the same track, and it would have been really cool to see whether or not they would have sort of been in, at the same place in terms of double A AA to triple A at such a young age. You know, same draft class taken at the top of the draft. Like those guys are going to be compared, I think, for a very long time in a in a fun way. And like I, uh, I'm looking forward to a healthy C.J. Abrams in, in 2022, so we can resume uh, the future stargazing. Okay, quick question: putting you guys on the spot, and then I will answer as well. Bobby Wood Jr. is he on your Royals 2022? Opening day roster, yes or no? That was a mailbag question last uh, week. I say yes. Did you answer it? Yes. I see. I I, mm-hmm. I didn't read the mailbag while I was off. I'm sorry. How about you, Jason? I'm also a yes on that. Got it. I will go yes also because and, and I think one of the reasons I would say yes is just Dayton Moore, you know, who who runs that organization. I think he's all about merit, and I, I think that's an organization that's you – know, who knows if we'll have service time shenanigans in the new CBA. But I think – you know, I, I don't think they'll play games with him. I think if he's their best guy, he'll be their shortstop, and, and I think he will be too. All right, you're listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jim Collis, Jonathan Mayo breaking down the prospect team of the year. Guys, let's talk about the outfield group real quick. Uh, I'm going to rattle off – uh, there are quite a few names that, that we considered, uh, guys who had great seasons. And then tell me, uh, talk about the top three guys uh, for you, because I think you you uh, both voted the same way. We've got Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners, uh, Joey Weimer of the Brewers, Andy Pies of the Dodgers, Alec Thomas of the D-backs, Khalil Lee of the Mets, Matt Frazier of the Pirates, Giants, 
Hiro Palmeris, Orioles Kyle Stower, Rays Josh Lowe, Tigers Riley Green, Astros Jake Meyer, and Mariners Cade Marlowe. Uh, about a dozen guys there, uh, but it seems like it was pretty clear um, who you guys liked as the top three. Yeah, and it was, I, I thought the outfielders were kind of tough, Jonathan, maybe in part because we were – you know, the team will have, we'll, we'll go too deep, but we went three deep just to make sure we didn't miss anybody when we were voting. And it was just a weird combination of guys who had big years and then guys who had better rate numbers, but played less games. Like I, I think we both voted Julio Rodriguez tops on an outfield list. You know, he's not even 21. He got to double a, he had an ops over a thousand at a thousand and one hit three forty seven. Had he, which I think, Again, the minor league numbers are all goofed up this year because it's fewer games. He didn't qualify, but I think 347 would have won the batting title had he had enough of bats to qualify. So he had a great year. He just missed some time. But, you know, he's, you know, I think until one of them graduates, we're going to be talking about Julio Rodriguez and Adelie Rutschman and Bobby Wood Jr. is the best prospect in baseball, probably. I agree with that. And he, uh, you know, handled that promotion to double a really well he raked there you know after being very good in the olympics you know so he was running around a little a lot because he you know he he was with the dominican team and qualifying for the olympics he was in the futures game he went to the olympics that's why he only played 74 games um and he, he just kept getting better as the as the season wore on it's like the the olympic experience fueled him because he was really good uh, when he came back, I think there's even more power to come. He even stole 21 bases to boot. Um, and this is this is one of those instances where I definitely sort of, if I, it wasn't necessarily the prospect status, but age for the level compared to a guy like uh, Joey Weimer of the, the Brewers who had a ridiculously good season. I didn't realize it, how good it was. You know, just a few homers shy of 30-30 himself in 109 games. But he's two years older than Julio Rodriguez and and was down a level um, from from Rodriguez. And that's that was the main reason why I kind of picked Julio uh, over Joey in that uh, in that case, you know, even though Waymer put up really, really impressive numbers all year. And Pajes is, you know, yet another Dodger who's developed i mean he was a, a cuban defector they signed uh and, and he you know the interesting thing to me with him and it's the angels lost you know when they made the the original when they made the mookie bets trade two springs ago one of the offshoots of that deal was that the angels were supposed to get jock peterson ross stripling and pahays i think for turner ward and luis renifo um and i don't know if you guys probably remember this the trade got dragged on a little bit. The Red Sox didn't like the physicals on Bruce Dark Graterall, who they were originally going to get from the Twins as part of the deal. And Arnie Moreno just got frustrated and said, okay, we're not doing this deal, which they should have done that deal because that would have been a very good deal to get all three of those guys. Um, but Andy Pahays, he's a really aggressive hitter. He's, he's one of these guys who's a really aggressive hitter, but he makes he, he doesn't swing and miss excessively. Like He'll strike out, but like he can swing from his heels and he'll make a lot of contact and do a lot of damage, and he's got a tremendous arm. Maybe a chance to stay in center. Definitely a right fielder if he doesn't. Tremendous, uh, you know, he had a tremendous year in the Pioneer League two years ago where he led the league in several categories um, in 2019. And then he came out this year and he hit 31 homers and got, you know, in high A. It, it didn't even, you know, it wasn't still not even 21. So um, I, I'll be curious. Like, I, he's been kind of a personal favorite of mine doing the Dodgers top 30. And it seems like he keeps getting better and better. All right, you're listening to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Guys, let's take a quick break here, come back, and we'll talk about the top pitching prospect performances of 2021. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. 
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We are breaking down the prospect team of the year. We've looked at all the hitters. Um, let's talk about the pitchers now. We do a left-handed starter, a right-handed starter, and a relief pitcher. We do first and second team for each. Uh, let's focus uh, primarily on the starting pitchers here, guys. Left-handed pitchers that uh, got some consideration here. Indians, Logan Allen, Red Sox, Brandon Walter, Marlins, Jake Eater, uh, Ken Waldachuk of the Yankees, and Angels, Reed Detmers. Um, guys, was this a, a pretty clear choice for you? It, it was for me. I, I do think, Jonathan, it would have been interesting had Jake Eater not gotten hurt or Reed Detmers spent the entire year in the minors. Um, I think they might have beaten out Logan Allen. Um, you know, Jake Eaters, I think was leading the minors in ERA when he went down, um, Reed Demers only pitched 60 innings in the minors before he got to the big leagues. But I mean, Logan Allen, two, two, six ERA, uh, 143 strikeouts, 26 walks, 111 innings, just a, you know, man, this is his pro debut. I mean, he was a second round pick in last year's draft. He was a two-way player uh, at, at Florida International. Um, you know, I, th- I think we both thought Jonathan, he had some of the best command in, in last year's draft and he has, you know, the Indians, th- this is kind of the Indians profile of pitcher they, they get guys who, who know what they're doing on the mound. A lot of their guys are, are, are guys who can pitch and then they seem to have a knack for helping them improve their stuff. Um, and Logan Allen, I mean, just a tremendous year getting to double a, you know, with either getting hurt and Detmer's getting promoted, it was a lot harder for me to figure out who was second and third, but number one was pretty easy. Yeah, I agree. I think he, he did stand out. And I, I do think Eater would have been the one, and this is assuming that he continued to do what he was doing before he got hurt. Uh, you know, he had a huge first half, futures game, you know, and then the injury uh, sort of cost him the, the chance, I think, to really be considered here. And in a lot of ways, you know, in the time that he was, you know, better ERA, better batting average against uh, than than even Logan Allen. Um, you know, WHIP was pretty com- comparable. Uh, you know, it's it, it would have been a very interesting case had he been around the whole year. And Detmers was like was really really good, um, but uh, because of only the six sixty innings, and I don't, he, he wasn't. I mean, he missed a ridiculous amount of bats and, you know, super young as a 2020 draftee who, uh, not super young, but younger, um, to make it up to the big leagues as fast as he did was really impressive. Uh, but that doesn't really figure into qualifying for, for prospect team of the year here. Yeah, nearly 16 strikeouts per nine for Detmers. As a starter. Yeah. Right-handers. Orioles Grayson Rodriguez, Rays Taj Bradley, Giants Ryan Murphy, uh, Peyton Battenfield, who played for a couple teams this year, Shane Boz of the Rays, and Seattle's Matt Brash. And uh, as the best pitching prospect in baseball, had uh, maybe the best uh, pitching season in the minors in in uh, 2021. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh... – it's nice when, when, when the stars align and that, that happens. It's not always the case. Uh, and he did it, you know, at a young age, and he made it up to double A, and he pitched well there. And, you know, he pitched all year. He topped 100 innings for the year. Uh, he missed a lot of bats. He gave up, like, no hits. He didn't walk a lot of guys. I mean, he really checked off all the boxes. Um, he, he was, to me, this was one where I didn't, I didn't have to think about about it beyond, you know, after, after that. And if I would have given him all three votes, you know, if, if that were allowed. Well, the, the crazy thing, I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's any surprise that Grayson Rodriguez had the best season. It doesn't always happen that way, but you know, he is the best pitcher prospect in baseball, but who would have thought that we'd just discuss the second team would essentially come down to Taj Bradley, Ryan Murphy and Peyton Bat- Battenfield. Did you guys have that trifecta? coming in as your uh, your top candidates for prospect team of the year uh, at the end of 2021. T- I've got to check my ticket. I'd, yeah. I'd, I've I'm had gonna, at least two of those three. I'm going to take that as a rhetorical question. Oh, you, you weren't serious about that? <laughs> and, you know, I, mean, Taj, I mean, Taj Bradley is a guy we, you know, Taj Bradley was on our, our draft 
200 a few years ago. He was the first player born in 2001 drafted. He was extremely young for his draft class. And, you know, yet another great job development by the Rays. You know, he, I believe he's your minor league ERA leader, Taj Bradley. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Ryan Murphy and Payne Battenfield are two guys from my teams. And I'll admit, you know, Battenfield was, was a Ray. They, they, they traded, the Rays traded with the Astros to get Peyton Battenfield and then traded him to the Indians uh, this July in a deal to get Jordan Luplo. Um, and the Rays just helped him get better. You know, he, he's added velocity, added velocity. He's, he's picked up a cutter that's really become his best secondary pitch. He's got feel for curveball and changeup. He throws a lot of strikes. He, he again, fits that Cleveland mold of, of, of guys who can really pitch. And then, you know, I, I talk a lot. I, I think the about the Giants are one of the teams I do, and I think they're uh, one, the, one of the farm systems on the rise. And, and one of the things they're doing, I mean, they're not just hitting on, on trades and, and top draft picks and international signings, and they're doing all those things, but they're also developing guys who weren't big names. And, and, and I'll admit, I do the Giants. And when we were doing our midseason update, I'm like, who is Ryan Murphy? Like, he, he had a minor injury toward the end of the year. He probably would have led the minor leagues in strikeouts. Um, and I didn't know who he was. He was a fifth-round pick last year, signed for $22,500, first D2 player taken in, in last year's draft. And he just – he's another – he's a guy who can pitch. You know, it's 91-95. It's not big-time velocity, but it's a lot of spin and really good carry. He's got a slider that's got good depth. He can morph it into a cutter. He can use a curveball. He can use a changeup. He can throw all five pitches for strikes because he's a compact delivery that he repeats really, really well. You know, I think he's more of a, a floor than a huge ceiling guy. I mean, here's a guy that they got as a, a discount senior sign in the fifth round of last year's draft who got up to high A this year, dominated. I don't think it's out of the question that he might be in the rotation or, or, or pitching big league innings by the uh, by the end of next year. That's a good that's a good story. Here, here's my question for you. Okay. And maybe maybe he would have ended up, and not maybe, but he probably would have ended up spending more time in the big leagues if he hadn't. If Shane Boz doesn't go to the, you know, isn't on the Olympic team, are we talking about him more in this conversation, or do you think he he would have spent too much time in the big? Because he only had, he had seventy eight and two thirds innings pitched compared to, yeah. you know, the, the 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 other guys that we mentioned were all over a hundred, but his his numbers were pretty silly no they, they were and i and that's why i didn't vote for him in my top three just because the other you know the bradley murphy battenfield group all were around 105 innings and, and, and boz wasn't quite at 80 but yeah i i mean i the rays being as good as they were i don't think he necessarily would have been up earlier so yeah i, I think that's a that, that's a fair point I, I had a quick quiz before you you gave me that question for yeah. both you guys when he was in I, I won't give you the school because that'll give you away but what NCAA Division II rotation was Ryan Murphy was in with another guy, a uh, former top 100 prospect, who may have been mentioned earlier in this podcast? This shows you my memory. Is like We talked about this person already today? We did, not in this context, obviously. That would have been a tricky clue when you said we may have if we well, actually, we did. actually I did. hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been really mean. He was the this guy, the, the guy I'm thinking of was the number one starter, and this guy was the number two starter in the rotation as a freshman behind this guy. I'm trying to figure out why we would have talked about this guy. I talked about a former yeah, player. As an aside, the guy was mentioned as an aside. Um, I'll give you one more clue. This was Lemoyne. Oh, Lemoyne in upstate New York. Uh, um, uh, Josiah Gray. Correct. We we, we were talking okay. about, uh, or maybe we were talking about it before the podcast. Yeah, it wasn't actually on the podcast. I think it was pre-podcast. <laughs> okay, that's, that's why we didn't get it. Talking about bad memories and and well, Josiah and Gray pitching against. Uh, I can't remember who he was making his first start against. Whoever made, who made his first start against Josiah Gray was it? Yeah, we had a we had a double prospect. Uh, it was a big prospect yeah. matchup, yeah. So, and that's by the way, Jason. He 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 didn't say we may have talked about it and then tried to like trick us. He said that to cover himself because he wasn't a hundred percent sure that happened after our producer Ryan had hit record. Yeah, we're we're all we're all we're all getting old here, <laughs> so our memories none of our memories are what they should have been or or used to be. I can't even speak anymore. <laughs> All right, let's take a break here. That's uh, going to wrap up our prospect team of the year chatter. 
Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some 2021 draftees who had impressive debuts this year. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We talked about our prospect team of the year, and now it's time to talk about some 2021 draftees who had big uh, minor league debuts this year. Just about everybody from the top 20 overall picks, uh, at the very least, did not disappoint and, and for the most part, really excelled. Uh, but let's talk about uh, the guy that uh, stands out the most from that group, and I think by virtue of having uh, more plate appearances than a lot of the guys on that list and putting up some of the best numbers, and that's Colt Gowser. Yeah, I think so. And it, we should point out that you know some of the the guys that you had a very limited amount of time. Henry Davis got hurt, which is why he you know he only had you know the twenty six at bats. Uh, and you mentioned Jordan Lawler; he had five at bats. Uh, in rookie ball. So, it, it, and this summer, I, I think in general, we've talked a lot about this before in general, the summer after a draft here, you don't put too much stock one way or the other, you know, a, a good start certainly helps build the foundation and builds confidence, but there have been plenty of examples of guys who are really good that in that debut and then never follow up. Uh, and, a lot of times guys are, you know, a little out of gas from a long amateur season and then go into the program and they don't do much right away, but they end up just fine. But, you know, Colton Kowser, I think, is, is the guy who played about as much as, as anybody and, you know, went to full season ball and kind of did what I think people kind of expected him to, to do. Uh, and, you know, I know the Orioles are probably breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief because, they went the college bat route the year before and has some cursed dad uh, because of health and injury issues hasn't, hasn't been able to play professionally yet. Um, so having Kowser go out and perform well, uh, I think was, uh, was a really good sign uh, and, and a good start for him, you know, highest drafted guy ever out of Sam Houston um, and who always came in kind of as a guy who, really made a lot of contact chance to be a plus hitter and kind of showed off all those things during uh during this this summer debut for him in the orioles system i'll give a little shout uh, shout out for for sal fralick also who hit his way up to high a ball uh, i would put him in that same bucket of college bats who who performed well out of the gate all right jim tell us about uh, a non-first rounder uh who impressed you this, I believe, is the hitter from this year's draft class who posted the highest OPS of any draftee uh, with 100 plate appearances or more. That's right. Now, you know, Colton Kowser was actually third on that list at 982. Uh, James Wood, uh, first-round tools, second-round pick by the Padres, had 1,000 ops. But the number one spot in on the list was held by 12th-rounder Corey Rozier of the Mariners. He hit 380, 451, 570, mostly in low A, stole 13 bases, uh, 14 extra base hits in 32 games. Um, he was on my radar. I, I was ready to go on draft day if he came up on day two, but I, I, I did not have to come up with my Corey Rozier information uh, on day two. But his best tool is his plus speed. He's more of a contact hitting guy, you know, really good you know, contact in his pro debut, almost as many walks as strikeouts. He has a little bit of pop. I think it's going to be more gap power as he climbs the ladder, um, capable of sticking in center field. Good, good sleeper pick, college performer. Uh, you know, led the Southern Conference, was among the Southern Conference leaders in a lot of different categories this spring. Good little uh, sleeper pick, I think, by the Mariners there. Um, you know, they obviously have a deep system, Jonathan. I know you do their list. I don't know that he'll push for making the list in the offseason, but I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Corey Rozier is maybe, you know, sneaking onto your top 30, you know, in the second half of next year. I'm making a note of him right now. 
also 13 stolen bases, which was tied for fourth most of any 2021 draftee. All right, let's turn to the mound, which is a little tricky because with the draft being later now, see fewer pitchers throwing, um, but we uh, do have a later round pick who was quite impressive. Uh, did not allow an earned run. He is the pitcher from this year's draft class with the most innings pitched without an earned run allowed. That's Alec Jacob, 16th round pick by the Padres out of Gonzaga. Yeah, you know, he, as you mentioned, you know, 19 two-thirds innings, gave up one unearned run, nothing earned, 29 strikeouts, two walks, uh, you know, pitching in the, in the Padres system. He was actually the West Coast Conference Pitcher of the Year in the spring. Here, here's my quick quiz for you guys. Average fastball velocity this spring at Gonzaga, according to Synergy. What is his average fastball velocity? Wow. Is it? There's no clues here. You're you're getting no hints. You just have to tell me his average average fastball velocity. velocity. 87. You're going 87. What do you say, Jason? I'll go uh, 86.9. Well, Jason wins because it's 83.3. Wow. <laughs> now, <laughs> the scouting report I have on him is that he kind of sits around 84, 86. Um, but he just, he's one of these guys who just locates really well. You know, as I mentioned, he had two strikeouts in 19 and two thirds innings. He puts his fastball wherever he wants and he keeps it off bats and he misses. He gets a lot of swings and misses. Again, I mean, he's going to have to prove it with that kind of velocity that he can do so at higher levels, but he gets a lot of swings and misses. With his slider, with his changeup, um, you know he, he uses the changeup against lefties, the slider against righties, and he just pounds the strike zone and misses bats. So, like he, you know, he's an older guy. You know, it's his fourth year at Gonzaga. He's twenty three. So, I mean, I wouldn't say he's you know a top prospect by any means, but definitely bears watching. You know, I mean, it's it's hard to have lower than a zero zero ERA in your pro debut. Yeah, I don't think anyone's done that for a while. Lower than uh, zero, zero ERA. All right. Uh, most strikeouts from the 2021 draft class. Griff McGarry, right-hander, uh, taken by the Phillies in the fifth round out of Virginia. He's like the anti-Alec Jacob. Um, you know, you, you, as we've talked about, you know, Jim and I split up the country, and University of Virginia is, is in my neck of the woods. And, I, like, I've known about Griff McGarry for, you know, quite some time. Um you know, he he was a guy in in high school, kind of of, of note in, in California, and in Virginia, like he he you know he throws very hard, and he doesn't know where he's going. Uh, and so, throughout his time, where, where really wherever he was, he he would miss bats, um, but would walk a lot. I mean, we're talking his college walk per nine rate for his career. Is 8.8 right so this is a guy who just has struggled to to throw a lot of strikes so you know during his pro debut yeah he struck out 43 and 24 in a third innings so that's you know 15.9 per nine he walked 5.2 that's a vast improvement um I, you know i don't think there's any way that griff mcgarry is anything but a relief pitcher when all is said and done but if he can somewhat limit the walk rate you know to that then he has a chance to actually be a reliever i mean this is a, a guy who is up to the, in the upper 90s with his fast was got a power slider you know he can miss bats with both it's just a question of him being in and around the strike zone enough for him to be effective as he moves up the ladder so if i'm the phillies i just put him you know i put him in the bullpen he started in virginia had a you know huge start um against mississippi state in the College World Series, um, but uh, you know he was good down the stretch. But you know, I, I think you just put him in the bullpen and see if he can start moving a little more quickly and be close enough to the strike zone for to him to have some some impact and a chance at some higher leverage uh, opportunities as a reliever. To, to compare and contrast one more time, according to Synergy, Alec Jacobs' hardest pitch of the spring was 89 miles an hour. Griff McGarry's hardest pitch was 101 miles an hour. Now I know that uh, we're we're just talking about McGarry here, and I don't know how much you looked into this, Jim. But as I look down 
the line of most strikeouts by pitchers in this year's draft class. Uh, one that jumps out to me because of the fact that he's a first rounder. Uh, nobody else in the top 10 was taken inside the top 132 picks. But Ryan well, if you Hughes, go deeper than that, Jason, like if you go the top, like, I know who you're talking about. I, I, Sean Burke is the only, uh, the next best top 100 pick in terms of summer strikeouts. And he's like about 30th on the list. Yeah. yeah. But Cusick, um, 34 strikeouts among the leaders that puts him behind only five other pitchers, but uh, he did it in only 16 and a third innings. Yeah. I mean, he probably threw as hard as consistently as any starter in the draft um, in this year's draft on the college side. Um, you know, the, the thing with him, it was, you know, command, you know, he only walked four guys in his 16 innings, small sample size, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, if I'm the Braves, I have to be really, really encouraged by how good he looked. I mean, we, we say this all the time. Like you, I, I don't read too much into draft stats. You know, we were talking about earlier or not draft stats, like debut stats, you know, Bobby Wood Jr. Struggled. I remember and this will date myself, like my second full year at baseball America, everybody was up in arms. How could the Braves take Chipper Jones? And he hit 200 in the Gulf coast league. That guy's terrible. You, know, you just can't read too much into the stats, but when the guy goes out and performs well, especially if it's your first round pick, it makes you feel really, really good. And, you know, Cusick, you know, he missed a ton of bats in college. He led the ACC in strikeout rate. He was up to 102 miles an hour. The, the, the key for him, I think, going forward is going to be, A, can he can he continue to to improve his curveball and make it into a true plus pitch? He made a lot of strides with it this spring. And will he throw enough strikes? I, I think the strike throwing is going to determine whether he pitches in the front half of rotation or the back half of rotation or or the bullpen. But but yeah, it was. I, I noticed that too. I hadn't done a deep dive, but if you look at those stats, um, just a lot of the top pitchers didn't pitch because they, you know they pitched a lot during the spring and 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 not many guys pitched many innings at all. So kind of a hard to get much of a read on a lot of the pitchers. All right, let's wrap things up by dipping into the listener mailbag. We have a question, a very simple, short question from Thundersnow at DW the original on Twitter asks Jose Miranda, the next Jose Ramirez double question mark one for each Jose. And the answer is, <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's made us all kind of look at Jose Ramirez. Um, I, I think where there are some comparisons are obviously Miranda probably best profile, you know, Similar profiles in terms of where they played defensively, I think. Um, moving around, offensive-minded, uh, kind of under-the-radar guys as prospects. Um, Jose Ramirez hit in the minors, but had no power until he got to the big leagues. So, you know, in that way, I guess Miranda is ahead because the power showed up now. I, you know, so, I, you know... I, we have to see Jose Miranda do it in the big leagues before, you know, we're ready to, to say that. Like, but I think there are some similarities there where I could see where the double question mark query came from. Yeah. I, I, I think there's some similarities. I'd be, I think to me, the biggest difference, the tutor, you, you know, one of the differences, Jonathan, which is that Miranda is hitting for power this year. Like, you know, Ramirez never did in the minors. Ramirez hit for a higher average from day one than Miranda did. So I, I don't think there's, I, I, I don't think they're great doppelgangers here. So I, I just think they're different types of players at the same stage of their career. To be honest, I, I think Ramirez was clearly a better hitter. Miranda clearly had more power. Um, yeah, I don't know what the Indians did with Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor, two guys who never hit home runs in the in the minors, and then became thirty plus homers, thirty plus homer guys in the big leagues. But um, you know, the, and, you know the other thing too, I think you got to look at is Jose Miranda is twenty three. When Jose Ramirez was twenty three, he was an everyday player on a, on a World Series team uh, in the big leagues. So I, I like Jose Miranda. I will give the edge to Jose Ramirez at the same stage of their careers. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think the one thing it does say is that, you know, they could end up have, you know, being similar. And, I'm, you know, Jose Miranda's got a long way to go before 
doing what Jose Ramirez did in the big leagues. You know, there are different ways to get to the same point. Um, so, you know, the fact that they did it at different times, you know, I don't know if is Jose Miranda figuring it out a little bit later, um, maybe, you know, cause he didn't hit, he, you know, he didn't hit for, you know, average at all on show glimpses of power, uh, in the lower levels. So, you know, so this is a huge step forward for him as we discussed you know, earlier on in, in this very, uh, edition of the podcast. So, um, you know, we'll wait and see, um, but you know, guys develop at different times uh, offensively. So, who knows? Yeah, Have we hope- had many more podcasts that are more eclectic than this one has been? I don't know how you quantify eclecticness. Seems like we're talking about a million different players and all kinds of different reasons. I'll give it a. I'll give it an eight out of ten for. Come on, you got to use 20 to 80 scale, Jason. What are you right. doing? Yeah, 60. 60 grade. Okay. 60. That, that seems fair. Okay. All right, that is going to do it for this eclectic episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week.